0: I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tonight we have a road trip with the Panda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still there. Yeah, still
1: there. It's you are taking phantom missions for your uh, <laughs> hard metal cover for a uh, Panda. Sure. 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 Why not? It'd be cool if you had like um like Ozzy doing it or something? Ugh, not that guy. Okay, what about like uh what's that Aerosmith? Uh Tyler, Steven Even Tyler.
0: Steven Tyler, he is alright. He's alright.
1: Who else would it be? Who else could it be? I don't know. I mean I mean what is that metal? Oh, no. Bono Bono Bono? Sure. Bono
0: <laughs> You too, That's all <laughs> I know. Bono. <laughs>
1: is he still alive?
0: Yes. I don't know what he does.
1: Is he still in Africa, saving lives or something? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I think he's still alive, though. Maybe we should go find his dark corner. Yeah.
0: See what his I'm life's good. all about. I'm solid. Okay. I don't need to know what Justice for Bono.
1: <laughs> Or Bodo.
0: So, tonight with the panda, we are recognizing an up-and-coming, very important day, uh, Mother's Day. it's a great day yes but this is kind of like a paranormal true crime podcast so obviously we're not going to talk about good mommies no we can't do that even though the panda had a very good mother beautiful had you
1: hear that had (laughs) things have changed people
0: (laughs) He had an awesome childhood, whether or not he would agree. I had a good time. There you go. So, because it's, like I said, a paranormal, true crime, kind of mix it up with a little evil jam, we're going to broach the subject, in honor of Mother's Day, of Mommy Dearest, the movie that scared every kid in America in the early 1980s. Now I actually watched this movie. I think I made you watch it at some point. You
1: did as as you said before to to induce fear for the little things of what could happen. Like you're lucky that's not me, and then you will proceed to do something from the movie
0: <laughs> the next week,
1: and I and you slap me silly till next Thursday or something. Oh
0: Lord, don't say that. <laughs> he never got slapped. That is not accurate.
1: And there's a chunk of my memory just missing. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what happened.
0: No. Anywho, you know, so I saw this movie as a kid. Faye Dunaway scarred the crap out of me. I, I, she, scared, she scarred and scared the crap out of everybody. And this movie is regarding Joan Crawford and her portrayal as a mother perceived from the point of view of her eldest child, Christina Crawford. Now, let's be honest, Faye Dunaway really kind of does an over-the-top version, you know, of this situation. What is it before
1: you got out? You got a Hollywood it, right?
0: Well, you do. You do have to some extent. But I, I, she might have gone a little beyond Hollywood. She might have gone beyond. Well,
1: that's how you win.
0: You win awards. That's how you do it. No. <laughs> she oh, Well, she wins awards, all right. She wins the Raspberry Awards. The whole movie got, like, five raspberries.
1: They had the Razzies back then? I guess so. I guess. In the 80s?
0: It seems weird, yeah.
1: Huh. I mean, they still might... they You know they do, like, lists and stuff, like, top movies of all time. So they probably do, like, the top Razzies of all time.
0: Right. Well, this movie actually still holds some pretty good, memorable lines in American pop culture. So they still have some top lines, mm-hmm. the the most infamous being, no wire hangers. Correct, and you know, for the life of me, I always thought it was no more wire hangers, no more wire hangers. But apparently, I've been wrong. Just, my it's my memory no, is wrong. just
1: no wire hangers, right? no wire. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. wire hangers. <laughs> she proceeds. Ever. It yeah, proceeds to go ballistic because they did what they were told,
0: right. Well, we'll get to this scene, because it's ridiculous that she trips out on the kids.
1: This whole movie is ridiculous.
0: Oh, yeah, well. So, now, the movie is semi, mostly, allegedly.
1: Allegedly.
0: As you would put it.
1: Based on camera or nothing.
0: Based on a book, also titled Mommy Dearest. It was written by, like I said, Joan Crawford's adopted daughter, Christina, the eldest child and was released in November of 1978. Now, in my research, there's actually some conflicting information regarding this book. I mean, this book is controversial for a lot of different reasons.
1: Now, who, now, for those who don't know, who is Joan Crawford?
0: She was, on um, some level, Hollywood royalty. She was a famous actress. Uh-huh. She won an Oscar for Mildred Pierce. But, I mean, she was in several movies. The Women whatever happened to baby Jane that she actually, so she's
1: big time. Correct. She's big
0: time fame, glamorous. And even bigger was her feud with Betty Davis, who was also Hollywood royalty. And her eyes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's got Betty Davis. Yeah. Whatever. Right. We got it. So
0: either way, this is kind of a reflection of some dark sides of Hollywood, and the glamour, and the glitz, and the lights. So, like I said, this book is controversial for a variety of different reasons, and it kind of even starts out being controversial about how it was even, or why it was even created. Now, Christina, which was also, she also was went by Tina, was noted that she wrote the book in response to being cut out of Joanne Crawford's will, Mommy Dearest's will. But there are also reports saying that she had a book that Joan Crawford was aware of, and it was potentially why she was cut out. I mean, because it was a tell-all about Joan Crawford as a mother to her adopted children. And so it, there is some indication that this was in response to Joan Crawford cutting them out, their last her last big kind of fuck you to Christina and the brother Christopher. So there are some claims from Christina that she basically got so pissed that she got cut out. So she sat down and she wrote the book. But again, there are many people who have refuted this saying no. Tina wrote it prior to Joan's death and Joan was actually very much aware of it. And then there's other articles that says, yeah, there was a small book that I kind of passed around to a few friends and it just happened to fall into the hands of a publisher and things went from there. So even the book's origins are a bit conflicting. Right. So let's talk about the two women involved. Obviously, we'll start out with Mommy Dearest as Mommy Came First. On March 23rd, 1906, and this is just a guess because there are actually no definitive records on what year Joan Crawford was born. She's uh, born Lucille Faye Lucey in San Antonio, Texas. She is the third and youngest child of Thomas Lissure, who was a construction laborer, and Annabelle Johnson, who was born in Texas. Now, their marriage was basically on bad terms as it was, and Daddy, Daddy Dearest, hightails it out of the marriage and bandits the family when Joan is actually 10 months old. Her mother would remarry a gentleman by the name of Henry Cassin, and the family moved to Lawton, Oklahoma, where Cassin managed the Ramsey Opera House. And because of this, this is weird. Joan gets introduced to the entertainment world. She watches all of the performances. She watches the shows that he hires to perform, and particularly the vaudeville acts. And she's just enthralled. And in fact, um, it's it's something that she just totally impresses her. And you at this time, and I don't really know why, but she even kind of creates this... Nickname for herself, named Billy. And. Billy. Billy. Billy, Billy, Billy. Now, like I said before, the dad left when she was 10 months old. So, Henry kind of becomes her real dad. That's the only dad she's ever known. So, she calls him Daddy. And, reportedly, when she turns about 11, he starts sexually abusing her. Oh, shit until she's sent to the St. Agnes Academy, which is a Catholic girls' school. So, and, and then, of course, she later learns from her brother that Henry's not her real dad. In June of 1910, so, you know, several years later, the family moves to Kansas City, Missouri, after Henry gets accused of embezzlement. And even though he's acquitted, he's, you know, this is a small town.
1: Bad gas travels fast in to a small town. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so he's blacklisted. They have got to go, and they relocate to Kansas City, Missouri. After this move, her mom and her her stepdad separate, and Joan actually remains at the school, and she works as a work student. So she's, you know, cooking, cleaning, doing a lot of the work to be able to stay at the school. And then she goes on to attend the Rockingham Academy, also working as a work student. And in 1922, she actually registers at Stephens College in Columbia, Missouri to, you know, cap off her education. But after a few months, she realizes how poorly she was not prepared for real life college. Oh. So she drops out. And she basically starts her career as an entertainer. She, re- she remembers the vaudeville acts. She remembers all the theater acts. And she begins as a dancer traveling with a theatrical company before debuting as a chorus girl on Broadway. She seeks out a publicist who does a screen test, who sends her screen test to a representative at Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, MGM. And their representative actually likes what he sees, so he offers Crawford a motion picture contract with him in 1925 for $75 a week. Now, when she signs on with MGM, the guy in charge. CEO. Yeah. But he's like, your name, Le sounds like Sewer. So they actually run a contest to garnish a better name for her. Contest so a public contest, a public contest, you know, name our new up and coming superstar, name our starlet. Correct, they kind of settle with Joan Arden, but it eventually gets changed to Joan Crawford, and that's how Lucille, who also had the nickname Billy, gets Joan Crawford for life, and so she signed. She's wheeling and dealing. Initially, she's given small parts. Eventually, she's trusted with bigger roles, and her characters end up doing really well. She's actually liked by women. And um, you're, we're talking depression era. So obviously, she's hitting you know, the right notes with a very poor and depressed populace. Right. And on top of all of this, Thanks to these roles and her popularity, she becomes, you know, a prominent movie star. And eventually she becomes one of the more higher paid ones, you know, in in that time. But she's also starting a relationship with a well-known actor, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., whose father was Douglas Fairbanks, who was an actor. And his, his stepmother is Mary Pickford, who was... The silent girl, she was extremely Hollywood royalty. So she marries him, and she marries him at St. Malachi's Roman Catholic Church, even though apparently nobody was Catholic, in Manhattan, New York. And this marriage gets promoted by the studios because, again, Crawford is up and coming. Fairbanks is already established, and everybody, he's, the guy looks like this dapper, you know, young Adventurous kind of a guy. And the the people are eating this. They love it. They love that this young, fresh couple have gone together. They're married. And the studios actually play to this. So they're basically promoting this young love and happy marriage. However, it's, you know, her behavior really throughout her life is pretty questionable. And... <sighs> This is kind of a big key factor. She, even though she's married to this hottie, she begins to have a two-year affair with Clark Gable. And he only learns about this affair after she files the paperwork and basically has booted him out of the house. He gets like, the chauffeur shows up and he's like, dude, your stuff's been moved to the hotel, so I'm going to take you to the hotel. And that's when Fairbanks kind of learns. She's basically filed divorce. She's booted him.
1: Right. She cut him out just without any warning. Correct.
0: And it kinda, and it's Clark
1: Gable dot is near royalty is
0: I oh. you know what Clark Gable was a hot man. So she she went for the right apple that led her to I don't know about bigger and better, but I mean Clark Gable is, you know, hot in his own right. He's royalty in his own right. Okay. So they get a divorce, and again, in hindsight, people start kind of pointing to the situation and suggest that she married him to establish herself as a star because, again, mm-hmm. he and his family was already established in Hollywood. Uh-huh. And, again, it's kind of the idea kind of starts getting planted that Joan does certain things for publicity, for publicity stunts. You know, even bad press is good press. The attention's on her. Correct. Correct, and this starts to kind of spin, and it's this idea sticks with her for the rest of her life. By 1938, she gets dubbed box office poison by the theater owners, and it's not until the women that gets released the movie the the women that Joan kind of like makes her comeback. She she kind of makes a couple comebacks in her career. While all this is going on, on June 11th, 1939 a young baby is born who would become Christina Crawford. She was born in Los Angeles. Her mother was an unmarried teen. And per an interview Christina later gives, her father was married to somebody else and in the Navy. So basically. Unplanned. 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 Completely unplanned. Completely unplanned. Secretive. Yeah. Okay. So Crawford adopts her through a broker in Nevada because Joan had already been formally denied adoptions by social services for being an unfit candidate in California in 1940. And part of this is because she's kind of, she's divorced. By now, she's divorced, I think, two husbands in 1940. So her
1: and Carl Gable don't make it.
0: No. No, they have their little affair. And it was said that they kind of remained friends for life. So okay. it sounded like they kind of parted on... Decent terms.
1: terms, but so now so this is also the adoption. Social industry. services, social were services. Like, no. right? So was, so what I'm saying is social services back then were probably nearly not nearly as strict as they
0: are now. Well, I I mean it's it, it's hard to think the idea of the American family was a lot different. The image of what an American you need family a man looked. in your life, or you have to be you have to have a husband, you have to be married. The husband provided, you stayed home and reared the children. And nowadays,
1: star right. Well, nowadays, I I don't know much about it, and I know we're getting off topic about it, but it's like I don't know what you would even. I'm assuming you would need a full mental state,
0: right? And there are reasons, there are other reasons,
1: and that's the point I'm trying to make is like if 1940 is saying you're not in the right mental state or good enough to to be a parent in 1940. I, you figure you're doing something really, really wrong. Right.
0: So she adopts Christina first. And actually, a lot of people don't know this. And if you watch the movie, which we both have, in the movie, they only show Christina and then comes Christopher later on. But in reality, she actually ends up adopting three more children. She adopts two twins, a Catherine and a Cynthia. Kathy and Cindy for short, in 1947. And then she actually adopts a second young boy with the name Christopher as well. So two Christophers. But she adopted him in 1941, but the child actually gets reclaimed by her mother. So she technically adopts five children okay. through the course of her mommy dearest years. So the movie basically focuses on... On Christina and Christopher, and there is no other mention of the twins or the second Christopher. I, I actually don't know why this was done. I mean, it could have been done for the sake of time. It could be done. It could have been done because Kathy and Cindy would later deny the incidences that took place in the book and in the movie, and they actually deny any ill treatment from Crossford. So I I'm not sure. There's there's a variety of reason why I could see them not in the movie. Mm-hmm. But again. Christina gets adopted first, so she's the oldest. She's the first. And this becomes her life situation in both the book and in the movie. Christina is, I mean, it's a memoir of her childhood with Joan Crawford. And it basically is about how Christina and Christopher, to some degree, basically bear this tremendous amount of child abuse from Joan Crawford, who was well-known to be an alcoholic, well-known to be a control freak, you know, very strict. And such things that are shared that are in the book that are also in the movie are her mother's violent mood swings would be as as extreme as one minute. Her mother would be buying her an extravagant party dress to the next. Her mother would be spanking her so hard with a hairbrush that it would actually break into... And the mood swings between the alcoholism and the emotional distraught maybe Joan Crawford was going through, they would be subjected to these extremes for the mother. And so on top of the mood swings and the spankings, the children would be subjected to what Christina would refer to as night raids. And in the night raids, the mother would basically wake the kids up drunk and make them clean messes that they hadn't necessarily made. And they'd be cleaning for hours and end in the middle of the night. Uh, The children, in fact, this is one of these moments becomes one of the most famous scenes in the, that's in the book. That's also in the movie. And it's, it's the obvious closet moment. I mean, she walks in. She's all melancholy. She's admiring all the wonderful things she's done for her children. She's going through their closet. And then she spots...
1: The hanger.
0: The wire hanger. And she just... She snaps. She Apparently, she rips off all the clothes off the hangers and flings them onto the floor. And then she goes and she grabs Christina by the hair and she's pulling her hair and she's basically like uh, screaming no wire hangers and destroying their room and spanking her at the same time i mean the woman basically becomes this tornado of psychoness correct <laughs> correct and like so that that becomes the quote that everybody remembers but i mean there were other forms of like ment- mental abuse each year because of the mother's popularity they were given Dozens of gifts, hundreds of gifts, but they were only allowed to choose one, one gift, and then they had to send all the gifts to charity or local hospitals. But Joan would make the children write endless rounds of thank you cards for the ones that they weren't even allowed to keep, and the cards would be double-checked by their mother, and if it wasn't, you know, grammatically correct, Joan would make them rewrite it. So, I mean, for all your little thank you cards that I made you... Send out to people through the course of your life it is certainly nothing by comparison to, you know, the rewrites that Christina and Christopher and all of them had to do. Now another instance that Christina mentions is she had this beautiful favorite dress that she absolutely loved, and when she you know provoked her mother, Joan apparently shredded it and then made Christina wear this dress for a whole week in order to humiliate her. Another instance was. And this one's actually in the movie. Christina didn't want to eat an undercooked steak. And Crawford's point was, you know, cooked steak, they lose their vitamins. So an undercooked steak, they keep their vitamins, eat your vitamins. And, you know, in the movie, Christina's like, I already ate my vitamins. So... (laughs) <laughs> On some level, the movie kind of doesn't really help Christina's case because the girl kind of comes off, a little Little girl comes off a little snarky. I already ate my vitamins. And so when Joan Crawford says, you will sit there until you eat it, I mean, every parent in America has said this to their child. Yeah, but it's like,
1: I won't say it's like a dog for a child, but uh, doing whatever to the dog for whatever reason in in Mama Dears' case she's just like a psycho. So this poor you know, now you see this poor dog just fucking being humiliated, doing whatever. Sooner or later the dog's gonna snap. At least even for just like a quick second. Like they don't want to, but it just just snaps. It just even for a human being, it's just it's just gonna snap. And so the scene where you see someone, you know, you gotta sit there and you're gonna eat it, you know, that's her snapping point.
0: Well, I mean, she said this to her mother. I've already taken my vitamins.
1: Well, yeah, because she's sick and tired of this bullshit. <laughs> I, my dress is fucked. I'm cleaning your fucking drug mess when you come home. I'm... I'm picking up all the clothes out of the closet you threw to the ground after you provided this to me, and I have no choice over hangers.
0: Well, that's just it. The that is exactly my. And issue. And now you want me to stay
1: here. It's and not eat eat like Christina went to the store and said,
0: "Oh, but I I want the her hangers for my dresses." She has no. She has no control over this, right? And
1: now the one thing she kind of has a sense of control. It's like, come on, let me have this one.
0: Like, where does she, Where does she can't? Where can a child say stop? <laughs> Well, the, I mean that's just one instance. But the, again, the movie kind of doesn't help because the little girl, you know, shoots back. I've already eaten my vitamins, and I oh, mean, now
1: she's the bad guy.
0: <laughs> Why is she the bad she's guy? She's not the bad guy, but you understand the, the, the movie does not help show you know how traumatizing Jones' behavior can be to a child. I mean, later on it does, but. Again, but when this – I mean, even I have said these words to you. You're going to sit there until you finish whatever. But it wasn't like – just so our listeners are clear, it's not like I made the kid eat liver, okay? I was subjected to liver. You were never subjected to liver. Uh, Maybe I like it. You never know. This is true. And I certainly didn't make you eat vegetables. Mm. Nope, make that Mm. face. If I recall correctly, I once asked, what do you guys want from the store? Little Michael said, "Can you buy us some vegetables? I'd like some vegetables, please.
1: So <laughs> I don't remember this conversation. I'm going to scratch that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anywho, over time, the abuse escalates. I mean, even in the movie, even as a child, you see that the little boy, Christopher, gets strapped in. And supposedly, he gets strapped into his bed at night to help counter his supposed sleepwalking. But even as an infant, he got strapped in. Uh, either way, the boy couldn't go to the, be- uh, go to the bathroom at night. And so as time goes on, again, things kind of escalate. At one point in time, Christina was 15 years old. She was so depressed from her mother's treatment towards her that while at boarding school, she actually even tries to commit suicide. She tries to overdose on pills. And she said that her mother was made aware of this incident, but her mother never... Never mentions it for the rest of her life. Never acknowledged that it happened. Never says, you know, what happened? Tell me what happened. How can I help you? Nothing. It's almost as if it never happened. Another instance was when she was about 13 or 14 years old. Christina claims that Joan full out attacked her. She, she punched her in the face. She slammed her head against the floor. And then she straight went for the throat and began choking her to the point where the assistant and staff had to pull Joan Crawford off of her. The police were even called at this instance. And when the officer showed up, this is Christina's uh, recalling, the officer showed up. He was very kind. He told me there was nothing he could do because there were no laws to protect me. He told me, you have to try and live here until you're 18 and then you can go free. But otherwise, anyone calls me again on you, you will have to go to juvenile detention. So even though Crawford chokes her out, basically, the finger gets pointed at her, and she's going to be, you know, in trouble. So there's the wire hangers, there's the choking, and apparently there was even an instance where Her own mother accused her of, like, flirting with her husband. Yeah. (laughs) Which, here again, (laughs) doesn't seem... What are you doing, stepdad? (laughs) Uh, Well, I... But you have to remember, Christina was surrounded by all the men that came and went in Joan's life. In fact... uh. There's actually a rather uncomfortable moment in the movie where this little girl is mixing this drink for this man that just showed up to come visit Joan. And she knows which alcohol is which. And he's telling her, please don't put so much scotch into it. I don't drink that kind of much scotch. And she hands it to him and he's like, you put a lot. She's like, I know how to make this. And she's like six. So but apparently this was a reflection of what real it was like with her. She would be uh, told to call the men that would visit her mom, uncle, or daddy. And she would make drinks for them. That's a whole lot of nope. I, I mean, she definitely does not have the most conventional childhood at all. On any level. So she grows up and she moves out. She tries her best to become an actress herself, and she kind of hits, you know, gets a couple good gigs, but one of the gigs she scores on is this, this soap opera, and as she's, you know, getting through it and, you know, establishing herself, she ends up having an ovarian cyst, and she ends up going to the hospital. Well, I, I... There, there are no real words I can say to describe what happens, but somehow Joan Crawford convinces the producers to allow her to step into her daughter's role. And her daughter's a young uh, future bride. So here's Joan Crawford at, I don't know, 60 or whatever. And she's trying to act like she's this 28-year-old and she's playing off of this young, hot man who's like, so what do you think about eloping, baby? And, you know... Joan is not coming across real well because she's not used to soap opera style of filming. Right. And so it's like you're sitting there going, is this really happening? This woman has dominated this girl's life so much to the point where when the girl couldn't act because she's trying to recover the mother steps in to play this role. It's just really not okay. It's not a thing. It's not a kosher thing. It's not a comfortable thing.
1: Not an anything thing.
0: Correct. So she writes this book, which eventually becomes a movie. And, of course, once the book gets released, people square up. People start taking sides, okay? And, again, it, it's interesting to see because Douglas Fairbanks, Jr., her husband, her first husband, right. he defends her. Myrna Lloyd, who you know from the Thin Man series, right, we love, defends her. Catherine Hepburn from Bringing Up Baby defends her. They all take Joan's side. And, again, the twins, the younger twins, they take Joan's side. But, like, other famous people, Lana Turner's daughter, Cheryl Crane, who was around about that time, she said that she'd been known to say that I asked my mother if it was true, and Lana Turner confirmed it. And so... You know, here you have all this Hollywood royalty elite. They're all divided. But a lot of people did confirm that Joan was a severe alcoholic, that she was very much a control freak, and she was a strong personality that had to be dealt with. I mean, the woman in the movie, I have no doubt she said this, but when she talks to the Pepsi-Cola uh advisors and CEO and they're like, well, we're going to remove you. We're going to retire you. And she's like, don't fuck with me, fellas. I mean, you can see this woman saying that because she does stay on the board of directors. So, I mean, and essentially the term, this isn't my first rodeo comes from this speech that she gives them. This isn't my first rodeo, but I mean, she doesn't say it that way. She says it a different way, but basically this is where the term comes from. And I do actually think it's worth noting that Joan herself once said of Christina and Christopher, "I adopted them; they did not adopt me." And I mean, I think <laughs> that's a that's a real a real eye opening moment. Like I legally adopted them, but they didn't really gleam on to me. Scenario. So, the book itself, when it was released, enjoys about forty two weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. At that time, it sold over 700,000 copies in hardback and over 3 million in paperback. And obviously this big hit, this big book, this juicy, you know, dark side, pull the veil back to discover the wizard is not the wizard after all scenario. Right. bag. It has to become a movie. Which it does. Which it does. On September 18th, 1981, the movie gets released. It stars Faye Dunaway as Mommy Dearest, Joan Crawford. Now, as we mentioned before, it gets like Razzie Awards because of Faye Dunaway's over-the-top approach to it. But, I mean, there is some element of jazzing up. Like the scene where she basically gets fired by MGM, and then you see her in this glamorous gown, and she's chopping away at the flowers, and she's screaming Mm at the... uh, staff get christina get christopher and then she tells christina to get the wheelbarrow And christina's in the woodshed and she turns to christina and she's like christina get my axe and i mean this is this whole absurd moment well christina said that actually didn't happen when the mom got fired she got fired but that's not how she handled it in fact christina went on would say later that she was constantly you know at other times she was chopping up the flowers. It wasn't necessarily... Unaggressive. Because of being fired like that. It was, you know, it was something that she did.
1: It was her hobby.
0: Right, it was her thing. thing. Yeah. But it wasn't directly... Like, that moment was totally Hollywood up and, you know...
1: So who was the... Did, I mean, you probably don't know off the top of your head or have the resource right now, but, like, who was the director? Frank Perry. Uh, well
0: known, not well known. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, it was early I eighties. Mean, usually, was
1: barely. But still, I mean, you you know, like some like John Carpenter. You know, John Correct. Carpenter.
0: Correct. But Frank, no.
1: Frank no. Perry. That's probably his last and only movie. <laughs> I don't think so. So, oh, uh, so so Hollywood takes this billion selling copy book, juicy gossip thing. <laughs> Correct. To just the theaters. To the theaters and just kind of runs it in the dirt.
0: Right. Now it was five million to make.
1: Okay, it wow. grosses.
0: It. No, well, it's ni- it's eighteen. It's nineteen
1: eighty. Even then, I think still movies. Is, uh, no, no,
0: five million. Nineteen eighty. All right for that movie. It, right. <laughs> in North America alone, it grosses nine million. Overseas, it grosses six million, and that's a lot of money. I don't remember how much it cost to go to the movies in nineteen eighty one, but it sure in the hell wasn't as expensive as it is now.
1: What probably didn't do well as the book sales.
0: Right. But immediately, people are like, what is this?
1: Like, what's happening?
0: Like, they just, again, Faye Dunaway's performance just really- is trash. Is over the top. Trash. <laughs> and within a month of its release, Paramount, who, you know, produced the movie- recognize that the viewers were coming to see Mommy Dearest for its quote-unquote camp value, you know, campiness. Mm -hmm. And begin, they they realize the audience is treating it like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And people are shouting back the dialogue. They're bringing their own Ajax cleaners and their own wire hair. I mean, so they're like...
1: They're interacting with this Correct. movie. Correct. It's like you know, watch the, the Disaster Artist. No. Would you? Oh shit! All right. Well, there's a movie. The Disaster Artist is about another movie. I think it's called The Room. It's a very, very bad movie. But the whole story behind it, so he he makes this movie to be serious, and he this is supposed to be his. You know, art decor. You his, know, his baby project. His baby, his his like this is it, and the dude's super weird, and the movie is atrocious. It's just atrocious. So the people are in this theater watching this movie, and now he's embarrassed because nobody's reacting to anything. Because I'm telling you that if there was a dark corner, this movie is a dark corner by itself. Okay. Uh regardless, and that's what people do is they they kind of, they kind of say this is so bad. Or this is so quirky, and whatever can't but, be, yeah, they start laughing at it, and luckily, the guy plays along with it, so there's no
0: right he, but and, there, and there's no
1: Joan Crawford involved or real life, real life name or actors being slandered because of this movie, so right. it was okay, but that's
0: didn't James Franco kind of do a movie about it?
1: That's the disaster okay, okay, he's okay. he plays the guy who makes that movie, okay, and it's great
0: well. Over time, this movie actually develops a cult following, okay? Okay.
1: This is all coming together now. <laughs> this is like their disaster just coming through. Right.
0: Right. And Christian Crawford, who kind of pulls, like I said, pulls back the curtain. You know, there is no real wizard. It's just a guy. This is kind of seen as pulling back the a dark, a real dark situation behind Hollywood, you know, that no one talks about child abuse, the things that children get subjected to, even children of celebrities, you know, um, Bing Crosby, their kids will tell you he beat the crap out of us. Bing At, Crosby, correct, the singer, yes. Oh shit. So, an article I read kind of akin's it to the like to the Me Too movement of, you know. Something happens to somebody. The child abuse was real. The kids were subjected to some, you know, brutality of famous celebrities. And Christine Crawford kind of being the one to tip the scale. Now, she actually goes on to write other books. Again, because uh, apparently the first book didn't have all of the details. So she has written other editions. In fact, in 1998, the 20th edition gets released. And she, again, she's just adding information. She's written other books. And in 2018 is actually the 40th anniversary of the publication of Mommy Dearest. And on top of all this, as odd as it sounds, it has currently been made into a musical to which Kristen Crawford is, is very much aware of. And I might even be party to. So, it's kind of come... I mean, Crawford dies in, in seven, 1977. So the woman been dead for 40-plus years. Yeah, she's gone. And, and to kind of bring a little uh, paranormal into this, Faye Dunaway, the actress who played Crawford, has claimed that since she made the movie, she has actually been haunted by the ghost of Joan Crawford. So it, it's, it's interesting because Faye Dunaway actually does not like to talk about this movie. I she, wouldn't either. She <laughs> she believes she gave a great performance.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. Other people do their best. Correct. <laughs> Gold star. Right. So, yes. It's come full circle to where it started as a tell-all book, it became this, you know, scarring, jarring movie, and now it's a musical. I mean, I, I would actually be interested to see the kind of songs that they came up with. I mean, my mommy beat me with a hairbrush till it broke.
1: I it, just, it would just be called, yeah, hairbrush, uh, wire hangers, right? vitamins, uh, I don't I know how, how, to, how make to make, make my di- drinks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I going to say. Uh, Probably like a Yes Daddy song in there. That'd be weird. would be weird.
0: A little creepy. Well, right. It'd yeah. be
1: creepy. There's an undertone message to these, to these songs, which I guess it works. Is it called
0: Mommy Dearest as well, the musical? I believe so.
1: Is it a Broadway or is it like a...
0: I, I actually do not have an opportunity to oh. research too far into it. Right. Just I just know it's an, they either developed it's or was there. Or right.
1: Something out there.
0: Right. So, it's... And, you know, the truth is, is, you know... Nowadays, we have Corey Feldman kind of leading a, a way of, you know, talking about some of the abuses that Star, the child actors were subjected to as well.
1: <laughs> Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman. Oh, you're talking, you talking about Goonies
0: guy? N- yes. Yeah. Mouth.
1: Mouth. Uh. uh, uh mother freaking uh, da, 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 the vampires.
0: Lost Boys. Uh, Lost Boys. Who raised you? Uh,
1: Jesus. I well, I got them. I know who he is now. It took me a second. Goonies, Lost Boys, and he's in Stand by Me. Uh, right. He was a predominant child actor, and then you know, even Shia LaBeouf is a is a fucked up childhood. His uh, father
0: apparently was. Yeah,
1: he, he made a movie called A Honey Honey Boy. Mm-hmm. Like that, I wanted to watch it. It's supposed to be pretty really good. He plays his own father. So, which I guess makes the most sense if you're the one who witnessed it and was part of it,
0: right? So, it's I guess it's his own mommy dearest.
1: Yeah, I guess so, huh? Right. It's-
0: All right. So that's it. That's our uh, honor to Mother's Day. Yeah. <laughs> We're actually gonna follow this up with um another episode regarding another not so mommy dearest. Um, episode so and this will be our special episodes for the month of may and uh, again in honor of mommy
1: we should do a star wars one for the month of may
0: i know Be the fourth view with you all right on to business facebook 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 if you are interested uh, there is a facebook page send me a request and uh, join the facebook page you're on the Facebook page, yeah. Where the
1: dark corners are. It's so yeah. articles each day. Either it's about a little bit of everything. You do. you post a lot of things about a, a lot of places that are necessarily haunted, or just random articles. You. I'm assuming you're finding on Facebook as well.
0: Well, not only Facebook, but they tend to be more about the topics of that week.
1: Right. So you you keep it in the you keep it in the loop of whatever we're on. So like you did the Australia. We right. did the Australia episode about the. The honey- but the honeymoon killers, yeah. Or yeah. honeymoon killer. Yeah, honeymoon killer, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you posted the picture later. Right. So
0: the famous picture that well, she prompted a, yeah,
1: And it's straight up she's a, she's dead. Yeah. Um but yeah, so you did your Amityville one. I mean it's it's a good place to find the podcast too if you don't have Spotify or whatever else you have. Right. So, I mean it's I it's all least. there. And then no one not a lot of interaction there, but people could post there too. Hi, it's, it's the easiest way to to post where your dark corner is.
0: <laughs> not too dark, though. Well,
1: yeah, we don't, yeah. Well, why not? S- send us what you got. I mean, we're not going to know unless you send it. Right. We'll send.
0: And, you know, who knows? Maybe it might trigger an episode. Right. But, again, speaking of if you have a place that someday you would like to see where their dark corners are or have a specific tourist attraction or a dark. Corner picture like the Tina Watson situation, send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Final thoughts, Panda? No
1: more wire hangers. Well, no that's the one. only scene that I've ever, ever was scarred. And I don't think we've ever bought a wire hanger. If we did, I, you know, you touch it. It's, just, it's like a memory flashback. <laughs> she just goes crazy. It, and what? I remember the hedges after you said it. I was like, yeah, that's right. She's just sitting
0: there. Ah! Tina, Frank me back.
1: Yeah, and I was like, oh, shit, this bitch is crazy. When I was a kid, I didn't know. <laughs> I don't know nothing. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I don't, is this what you're going to do? <laughs> 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 I don't know why you're showing me this. She showed me out of fear, and now I've grown up. This movie's bad, so.
0: <laughs> well, he's fine. Am I, though? There you <laughs> Am I? There. All, right. All right. So until next time, please remember. Only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are.